water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed, and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to What's Appa, a rewatch podcast of the greatest show ever, Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm Joyce. I'm Justin. And I'm Anand. And this week, we want to give a special shout out to our friend Lauren, who read the intro. This is episode 34 of our podcast, where we'll be discussing the tales of Ba Sing Se. So let's just get right into it with the first tale, the tale of Toph and Katara. So something that's really cool about this episode is that it's an anthology of different shorts, and each one is written by a different member of the Avatar production crew, none of whom are writers, like on the writing staff. They're mostly like production coordinators or production assistants. And it really shows. You're so mean. <laughs> You're so mean. Wow. Should Sorry, I not I even? I was... on it. I don't want to start on a negative note but i was gonna name them all but like should i not you should you should you should should. okay they deserve Um, some some of them deserve some credit so oh my gosh so mean so (laughs) they're not writers the idea of having all these crew members write the shorts was the idea of head writer aaron ehas which who i know we've talked about but yeah this first short was written by lisa wallander and joanne estoesta And another final note about kind of the different writers uh, is Elizabeth Ehas and John O'Brien also are credited as story editors here. And Ehas tends to like have more character driven episodes or like write more character driven episodes. And O'Brien tends to do more of like the comedic one offs. So um, yeah, I read this online. Some, you know, someone was saying like, oh, they're probably a good pair to kind of at least guide all the clueless production people (laughs) (laughs) for this episode. I think they did a good job. Anyways, so the first scene opens with Aang and Sokka and Katara getting ready for the day and Aang and Sokka are shaving. I thought this was kind of funny. I read this fun fact, but this is the only episode in Avatar where Sokka is seen with his own facial hair. We see a lot of episodes where Sokka (laughs) is like donning a fake mustache or fake beard, like a lot of episodes. Um, Mm -hmm. But poor poor Sokka just wants to be a man. (laughs) Uh, But he's just a pubescent teen glad to know even in the avatar universe he's cursed with the pedo stash (laughs) yeah but i think you know he keeps he's uh he's got a good routine you know we've never seen it before anyways toph is still sleeping just like looks like a complete mess and then she's just like i'm ready for the day and katara is very disgusted because toph is just like totally disheveled looking and katara's like you know what we need a girl's day out so the next scene is Katara and Toph having their girls' day out at the Fancy Lady Day Spa. But yeah, I had a thought, which is where are they getting all this money? But I guess, I guess mm. Bossing say like the government is just kind of like putting them up in this like nice, like nice room, a nice mm-hmm. house, and like I don't know, maybe giving them maybe the Toph can just flash her. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's card. true. That's true. I feel like that would work as well. 
But anyways, Toph is like reluctant to be there and she's like, okay, but like as long as they don't touch my feet. And of course, they touch Toph's feet. And Toph is so aggravated that she earth bends the masseuses away, like one of the masseuses into the wall, which is just like brutal. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're bullies in this episode (laughs) or in the short. So in doing my research, I came across... This person who said that in the DVD commentary for this episode, it claims that the reason Toph and Katara have so much makeup on is because the people at the Fancy Lady Day Spot pressed them into buying, quote, the full package to, quote, feminize them, unquote, <laughs> as much as possible. Um, oh. <laughs> they got tricked. They got scammed. I think it's a, yeah. I feel like it's a little much. Yeah. Like, I feel like they were looking better in, like, the last episode Mm -hmm. when they went to that party. Yeah, they did their own Mm. makeup. Exactly. Got ripped off. Yeah. Country bumpkins, am I right? Anyways, they leave, and Toph has this glam makeover, and Toph's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. She's like, I'm not usually into that stuff, but I actually feel girly. Then some meanies walk by and bully Toph just... As she was starting to feel beautiful for her clownish makeup. Yeah, one of the girls is like, wow, great makeup. And Toph says, thanks. And then she says, for a clown. And I'm like, what a terrible, terrible dig at someone. I don't know. Not even terrible in like the mean sense. It's just like a bad joke. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me of that whole like joke back in the day when we were little when people would be like, Oh, you're so pretty. Pretty ugly. <laughs> Did you guys ever like hear that? Yeah, it's one yeah, of those yeah. classic sure. classic digs. Anyways, yeah, that's what this was. Uh, apparently this girl has a name. Her name is Star, which is just like of course she's going to be like <laughs> bitchy, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was also watching this video about this episode and somebody online the the guy was like Oh, like she just has the most annoying voice ever. Like the voice actress did an mm. amazing job because she's just so hateable from like the second she opens her mouth. Anyways, Toph is really upset and she basically just earth bends the bridge out from under them and then Katara water bends them down the river, which again, <laughs> like very, very harsh, Brutal. very harsh treatment um, of, you know, they were mean, but. Damn. And then Katara tries to comfort Toph by saying, those girls don't know what they're talking about. And Toph is like, it's okay. One of the good things about being blind is that I don't have to waste my time worrying about appearances. I don't care what I look like. I'm not looking for anyone's approval. I know who I am. And Katara's like, that's what I really admire about you, Toph. You're so strong and confident and self-assured. And I know it doesn't matter, but you're really pretty. Which is a very sweet moment. I think their relationship really gets its time to shine. And... One thing I thought also is in a later short, we hear Iroh say, while it's always best to believe in oneself, a little help from others can be a great blessing, which is exactly mm. what Katara is doing here. It's <laughs> a good point. Yeah. And then I also read someone online saying Katara is quite literally making a blind girl see how beautiful she is. <laughs> so like Katara, Katara is a saint in this short. Um yeah. And I'll just add there that a lot of times Toph, when someone says something to Toph, she's like, oh, you're lying, blah, blah, blah. But she actually generally appreciates it here. So we know that, you know, Katara is being 100% truthful. And yeah. it's a sweet oh, Katara. moment. Katara. 
yeah. The other way to look at this is she's a stone cold poker faced liar that she can get it through time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But yes, then Toph is like, thanks. And I'd return the compliment, but I have no idea what you look like. And then Toph punches her in the arm, which is, you know, <laughs> means Toph loves her like a sister. <laughs> so the next vignette is a tale of Iroh. Get the tissues out. Um, yeah, so this short was written by Andrew Hebner, and Andrew was a production manager on the series. So in this short, Iroh goes to the market to buy a picnic basket for a special occasion. And as he's is purchasing this basket, he sees a moonflower and he pushes it into the parcel, partial shade. And he says that moonflowers like partial shade, uh, shade to, and they thrive best there. Uh, some cool facts about the moonflower. Its Chinese name is Yuehua and it is sometimes called a morning glory or a moon vine. And it's a special type of flower that blooms at night and moths and bass help pollinate it. Interestingly, mm-hmm. it has like hallucinogenic effects when you ingest it and is poisonous. Mm-hmm. Um, but the symbolism, I think, is that it kind of reflects Iroh's own redemption arc and Zuko's redemption arc in that it blooms in um, times of despair. Um, and that's kind of mm. what it means. And I think this is probably the deepest vignette out of all of the shorts. So anyway, we move on and Iroh sees a small boy crying and starts playing his instrument. <laughs> yeah. That he steals from the shop. Yeah, borrows, <laughs> I would <laughs> say. Um, but yeah, this instrument is called a liuqin. Liu Qin or something. Sorry, I don't remember the tones, but it's a Chinese, tra- it's a traditional Chinese instrument. Um, and a goof that I read is that Iroh plays this instrument like a guitar, but the instrument is actually supposed to be played upright and while sitting down because it's too heavy to be carried like a guitar. Mm. Mm. Or Iroh's just super strong. <laughs> <laughs> and then Iroh sings his titular song uh joyce do you want to sing it everyone now please <laughs> from the vine falling so slow like fragile tiny shells drifting in the foam sing with me little soldier boy come marching home Brave soldier boy comes marching home. And then you smash the guitar. <laughs> the Liu Chin. <laughs> uh, so then the boy stops crying and Iroh, you know, becomes like happy and he pulls on his beard and then they walk away. Yeah. And I just thought it was kind of interesting that the mom doesn't even say thank you or like anything because this boy <laughs> has a mother. <laughs> she just never says anything to Iroh. So it's a little rude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after this, uh, Iroh shows up in kind of like a back alley playground where these kids are kicking a ball around. And then they accidentally kick the ball through a window. And then this like huge guy starts like yelling at them. 
Oh my god, Matt, he's a literal giant. Um, so anyways, the game is called Earthbending Ball, and it's a game where earthbenders use their bending to guide a leather ball across a field into a goal. And it relies heavily on earthbending, but not so much running or physical contact. So it seems like a pretty fun game. Uh, <laughs> low chance of injury. Um, <laughs> and another fun fact is a modified version of this game was actually played after Sozin's Comet, where the children in Bossing Se used the Fire Nation tanks as the goal. Mm. The Fire Nation tanks Ooh. that were stacked up um, in the center of the city. Also, these kids are like really good at earthbending for kids. <laughs> they're like really that's good. true that's true they kind of like use the same moves as ang uses to build the zoo ah. just at a smaller scale yeah and then Ira says it is usually best to admit mistakes when they occur and to seek to restore honor um and then the large man like threatens them like to kill them <laughs> and Ira says but not this time run and then they all like start running um and then iroh runs into an alleyway he kind of puts his stuff down and like, looks around the corner and then this guy like comes up and sneaks up on him and he says give me all your money and then iroh says what are you doing and then the guy <laughs> says i'm mugging you and then iroh kind of looks down and like the guy's like feet are like duck duck feet footed and like pointing inwards and then iroh you know criticizes his stance and he says with a poor stance, you are unbalanced and can easily be knocked over. And then Iroh knocks him over and, and steals his sword. Um, but then he helps him find like a good stance. And then Iroh says, but to tell you the truth, you do not look like the criminal type. And then the guy says, I know, I'm just confused. <laughs> um, and then it cuts to like him and the guy and they're like having tea. And he basically says, so you really think I could be a good masseur? Which... I learned today is a male masseuse. Yeah, so I just thought, oh, throwback to quote, having tea with a fascinating stranger is one of life's greatest pleasures. Um, <laughs> so we can see mm. him living his values here. Um, but apparently, mm. like I said last episode, Taicho, Taiko, Taicho, that's his name, um, has a very, you know, deep backstory well kind of he just always dreamed of going to university and apparently he told his parents that he was dreaming of going to university but he really meant spa university so his parents disowned him and like kicked him out of the house <laughs> which is why he's poor um and i guess this university is actually attached to fancy lady day spa so a portion of the spa is used for the university which offers a degree program um, and according to the wiki <laughs> when a customer is willing to be experimented upon by students they benefit from reduced rates when visiting the spa which uh, wow. reminds me of just like med school students doing stuff when they don't know what they're doing like <laughs> providing free uh, health care <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and with that backstory Tycho says no one has ever believed in me. And Iroh says, Well, it's always best to believe in oneself. A little help from others can be a great blessing. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So that there's a line that Joyce was referencing earlier. Um, but then it cuts to, I think, the greatest moment in this episode. Uh, mm -hmm. And Iroh's on the hill and he kneels down by the tree and he puts down the picnic and then you see a small, like, 
memorial grave of Luten, who is, as you know, is his son. And then he lights two incense sticks, which in East Indian culture is meant as a sign of reverence and respect. And then Iroh says, happy birthday, my son. Yeah, and I just... I get the feels every time. But another thing that I actually never fully appreciate about this scene is just how beautiful it is. Like the sun is setting, the colors are very vibrant, and um, the leaves are falling. It's just, it's just very, very nice. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah. And then Iris says, "If only I could have helped you." Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, first of all, I think this is the saddest moment of the entire show. Like, I definitely mm. cry here the most out of any other scene. But yeah, I think it just shows Iroh's character arc, um, how he changed after Luten died, because he came to Bossingse to subjugate everyone and take over the city. And now, after Luten's death, he's come back and is helping literally everyone. And. Yeah, that's kind of the turning point of, of his life, so very tragic. Mm. I also read something online that was talking about how Iroh helps people of all different ages. So he helps a small child, like a baby, then he helps these children, and then he helps this older man, which oh. was an interesting choice. So you could think it's just like he's helping people of all ages. Someone online, I don't know if I buy this, was like, it's him experiencing fatherhood because he's kind of teaching these men at all different points of their life. It kind of could have been what he was to Luten in some ways. Um, so yeah, I thought I that was I think it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of like that read on it. And also notably, like none of these people are girls or women. So mm-hmm. it kind of seems like these people are like substitutes in a way. He's doing what he can. Yeah. Yeah, to help. And then Iris starts singing Leaves from the Vine, and he cries. And then it cuts to this panning shot of a sunset in Ba Sing Se, and it says, in honor of Mako. Yes, so Mako, of course, is the voice actor for Iroh um, up until this episode. So this episode is the last uh, episode that he did of Avatar, and... Yeah, it's just kind of beautiful how it all worked out. They dedicated this uh, episode to him because he passed away of cancer. Um, but I don't know why this like never clicked, but apparently Mako in Legend of Korra is also named after him, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, taking over after Mako uh, passed away was Greg Baldwin. And yeah, so I have some fun facts about Greg Baldwin. So apparently he... So he yeah, he took over as Mako, but apparently he learned his Mako impression from growing up listening to the Pacific Overtures Broadway cast recording, which was a musical that Mako actually starred in, I think in the 1970s. Um, mm. Yeah, and Mako's role was the reciter. But um, yeah, I was just reading kind of Mako's wiki, and he's a man of many, many talents. Um, <laughs> he also served in the military and that's kind of the inspiration behind leaves leaves from the vine as well and this drawing of luten is actually based on mako when he was younger oh wow yeah this episode definitely 
like really pays its respects to Mako and how iconic of a you know of a voice he is for the show and I think Greg Baldwin really like carries on the legacy well um and mm-hmm. another fun fact about Greg Baldwin actually is that he voices one line in this episode I like did not find out which one it was hmm. but I don't know why that's like so random so maybe you know let us know if you can figure it out <laughs> uh one one more fun fact about Greg, Greg Baldwin that I found out while I was researching is apparently he says that during, you know, tours or comic cons or whatever, people ask him for a bunch of stuff just to like say certain things as Iroh would. And he said that one request he always gets a lot is to sing Leaves from the Vine. But he says he always turns them down because he's like, that's Mako's song. So I'll never <laughs> sing it. I'm going to cry. Oh, man. Yeah. Some other fun facts about uh, Mako. He was nominated for the Academy Award Award for Best Supporting Actor for his role in the 1966 film The Sand Pebbles and for a Tony for Best Leading Actor in the musical Pacific Overtures. So very talented, Mm -hmm. but I think a little bit closer to home, after he started his career in cinema, He was so frustrated by the limited roles available to himself and other Asian-American actors that he started the East-West Players Theater Company, um, Mm. which he ran until the very end of 1989. So Mm. not only was he very talented, he was also a great role model and leader in this space. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, he started the company with James Hong, who no. not only has voice acted <laughs> earlier in Avatar, but is Ping, if you remember, from Comic Book Panda. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, taking <laughs> a quick turn, the vignette <laughs> after this is The Tale of Ing. Yeah. And this short was written by Gary Shepke. And Gary was a production assistant. Yeah, so the first shot in this vignette is Aang flies around Ba Sing Se looking for Appa. Yeah, so uh, I read this online, but there's a goof here in the first few frames of the tale of Aang when he's soaring over the lower ring of Ba Sing Se. The zoo that he creates in the end is actually already visible from outside the wall. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Go check it out. But anyway, so first Aang goes to the Bossing Sei Zoo, and he sees tons of animals in the cages. And oh boy, do we have tons of animals. <laughs> uh, we see some hog monkeys that later destroy a shop, and there's a rabbit kangaroo called Arabaroo that eats the cabbages by the cabbage merchant, mm-hmm. and there's a tiger dillo. There's what I think is like a buffoon ape, like a buffalo ape. Mm. Um and a flying snake is what it looks like. Yeah, those are wow. scary things. Oh, flying yeah. Snakes. Those are really scary. <laughs> <laughs> but the craziest thing is, like, at the end of the episode, they're just like, there's just a cat. It's a normal cat. And a dog. Oh. I think. And a dog. And there's a cat dog, you know? <laughs> so it begs the question, how did the cat dog come about? <laughs> so funny. You know, I'll leave that up to uh, listeners' minds. <laughs> um, anyway, then Aang approaches a tiger dillo who looks hungry. Yeah, and a fun fact about like the behavior of this creature is that um, you know tigers are pretty aggressive. Armadillos are usually pretty cowardly, um, so it's common for a tiger dillo to race towards moving objects with claws and teeth bared, only to curl up into a tight ball at the first sign of counter aggression. 
And then the wiki said, consequently, they are abnormally prone to being run over and carcasses can be found on the side of many major roads. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is kind of crazy. Like, it's a big animal. <laughs> anyway, the zookeeper says, they are hungry. The daily won't give me any money since the kids stopped coming and the kids won't come to my zoo because my zoo is nasty and broke. And then Aang asks about the Rabaru. Just a fun fact about the Rabaru is according to Mike DiMartino, the Rabaru was among the creative team's favorite hybrid animals. Yeah. So there's also a pro-bending team named after the animal, but I guess there are a lot of pro-bending mm. teams named after a lot of animals. Mm. But it's a favorite. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. And then the zookeeper's uh, response to Aang, he says... I wish I could get her a big open prairie like she likes. I'd let her hop her way to happiness. <laughs> and then Aang gets this idea to create a zoo outside the wall, which is, uh, shall we say, a terrible idea. So he <laughs> frees all the animals, and then like the, the animals go like completely rabid. They start like com- destroying the town. Honestly, like Aang should be kicked out of Bossing Say for this, at, at least imprisoned overnight. Yeah, yeah um, I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the hog monkeys start destroying all the dishes in a store i guess it's like bulls in in the china shop and then the rabaroos eat all the cabbages and the cabbage man goes my cap and then he just says oh forget it um and i just thought you know he made it he made it to bossing say last time we saw him he was struggling <laughs> to get in because of the worms or whatever yeah. The slug. There's cabbage some slug. slugs. Cabbage slugs. Cabbage slugs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, this is the last time we see the cabbage man until we see him referenced in Ember Island Players. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. But he becomes a titan of industry, as we see later in Korra. Mm-hmm. True, true. The Aang comes to the rescue and he protects people from the flying lizard snake things. <laughs> And he blows on Appa's bison whistle, and it sends out, like, a sonic blast through all of Ba Sing Se, which, you know, dang, Aang can really blow a whistle. Um, <laughs> but, like, all the animals hear it, and they start chasing him. Yeah, and then the Rabaru actually, like, lifts its head and um, before it starts to follow. And I think in the background, you can see the Cabbage Man sitting on some steps, like, crying into his hands, um, <laughs> which is really funny. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's yeah. him. Yeah. And then the zookeeper tries to, like, get the guards to open the gate. And they're like, yo, like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, why would we just randomly open the gate? Um, and then he's like, why would I open the gate? And he just turns around and he says that. And it's Aang, <laughs> like, booking it down the road with a literal stampede of animals um, on his heels. And he gets them outside the walls and then earth bends this, like, entire literal zoo for them. And then, you know... It cuts to a shot where there's, like, kids running around and everyone's having a good time. And the Rabaru is, like, sipping water from this water hole. And, like, these babies pop out of its pouch. And turns out some of these cats and dogs get stuck in there as well. But it, like, I don't know. It's, like, a little... The, the, the bow is too neat. It's too... <laughs> the ending's mm-hmm. too nice, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Conflict. Yeah. And... I guess this is my gripe with this episode. I uh, hate to be a hater, but like at the end of the episode, the zookeeper is like, ah, you should think about working with animals for a living. And Aang is just like, ha ha ha. And it's like happy. And it's like, what? Like Aang was literally looking for a- Appa at the beginning of this episode. And he has nothing to say say about that. And he's like laughing. Mm, it's just very out of character. It, it doesn't make sense. 
Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's true for other parts of the episode too, but uh, it bothers me. Yeah, all right. So the next vignette is a nice little short one. It is the tale of Sokka. Yeah, so this tale was written by Lauren McMullen, who I did recognize. And I was like thinking, does that make this one the best one? Just because I feel like she directs a lot of amazing episodes, like some of the best ones. Mm -hmm. Another fun fact is that the poetry teacher, who we see later, her name is Madame McMulling, and she's the instructor of, you know, the poetry group. And she's actually named after Lauren McMullen. So Mm -hmm. McMullen. MacMulling, MacMullin. Yeah, yeah that's funny. cute. Another fun fact, Madam MacMulling is five syllables. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's good. One. That's good. Man. All right. So it starts out with Sokka at night walking down a path, just practicing his boomerang. It's so funny. Like when he's bored, he just tosses his boomerang. Like that's such a hazard little thing they put in there. Yeah, and a hazard. Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah, maybe not the smartest thing. Um, but he passes by this building, and the sign outside of it says says something in Chinese, which translates to five seven five society. Mm. It's Wu Chi Wu Hui Shi, which translates the literally to the five seven five club. Ah, okay, mm. that's good. That's pretty good. Yeah, so he he peeks in kind of and he sees this poetry class that's full of women. Yeah, so of course Sokka's immediately interested. Um, mm-hmm. But a fun fact <laughs> about the 575 Society is that only wealthy young ladies of the upper ring could join. So it's very elite. Mm-hmm. Exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he sees this one woman reciting a poem and he kind of swoons over them. And he's like, ah, poetry. Ah, I am angry for Suki. <laughs> <laughs> Sokka's okay. being such a hoe here's my rebuttal uh, <laughs> that I found online and I did not notice this and I don't think I ever would notice this but the line he hears the woman saying when he peeks in is through all the long night winter moon glows bright love sleet her silver tears so it's very possible that he thinks of Yue when mm. she says this and that's what he's thinking about okay okay maybe maybe he gets a pass (laughs) yeah you were showing up earlier with the moon flower too she's just all over she's (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. imposing her presence um so anyway Sokka's looking through the window and this ostrich horse thing that's carrying this carriage backs up into Sokka and pushes him through the window into the club and Sokka stumbles in and he says I'm so sorry. Something struck me in the rear. I just wound up here. And then the girls <laughs> laugh and start clapping. And Saki gets really happy. And then Madame Makmu Ling looks disapprovingly. And she says, five, seven, then five syllables, mark a haiku, remarkable oaf. Oh, and apparently I read that a haiku is also supposed to depict a scene in nature, which I guess most of the instructors haikus do but Sokka doesn't follow that rule at all um and so an interpretation I read online is like Sokka just thinks it's so easy but like the instructor is even more peeved because like he thinks he's so good but he just doesn't truly understand the art form yeah that's what makes it all the better and so they kind of get into this rap battle uh and 
Sokka replies, they call me Sokka, that is, in the water tribe. I am not an oaf. Yeah, I just thought, I mean, I think this whole short, like, made me laugh a lot. Um, But it's funny, when he says, I am not an oaf, he, like, counts it out on his hands. Um, Uh. (laughs) He's like, I am not an oaf. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and the girls love it, too. So Sokka's really lapping it in, you know. And they kind of go back and forth some more. So Madame McMillan says, Chittering monkey, in the spring he climbs treetops and thinks himself tall. And Sokka says, you think you're so smart with your fancy little words. This is not so hard. And then Madame MacMillan says, whole seasons are spent mastering the form, the style. None calls it easy. Sokka says, I calls it easy. Like, I paddle my canoe, I'll paddle yours too. And I, I don't know. I feel like my jaw kind of dropped. So as he says this, he like smacks himself in the butt, which I guess <laughs> is what he's referring to by paddling her, her canoe. I was like, this is very, very inappropriate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and bordering like harassment. Um, anyways, also, I guess something I read is that haikus normally don't rhyme. So I guess Sokka's turning it into like a weird other thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's pretty good and so they go back and forth a little bit more and it seems like Sokka wins and then he stands in front of the crowd and he's you know delivering a final one to the girls and he says that's right I'm Sokka it's pronounced with an Akka young ladies I rocked ya and then the girls just stare back at him blankly and then uh, he like counts on his fingers and then he realizes he had one too one too many and the security guard kicks him out yeah, poor Sokka, but that's what he gets for still being so thirsty. <laughs> Meanwhile, the opposite of thirsty is Zuko in the tale of Zuko. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this short was written by Katie Matilla. She was a production coordinator, but she later, I guess, got promoted. Although I don't know if it's like technically a promotion, but she became a script coordinator. Um And she actually ended up writing The Beach, which is another great episode for romance and Zuko character development. Um, Mm. Yeah, so it starts with Zuko and Iroh at the tea shop. And Zuko's like, we have a problem. One of the customers is on to us. Don't look now, but there's a girl over there at the corner table. She knows we're Fire Nation. And Iroh looks and is like, ha ha ha. And he's like, seems to me she has quite a little crush on you. Um, And then that girl comes to pay for her tea and asks Zuko what his name is. And Zuko introduces himself as Lee. And the girl says, hi, Lee. My name's Jin. Thank you. And well, I was wondering if you'd like to go out sometime. And I just like this girl already. She's like going after what she wants. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's cool. Also, Jin, I read, is a Japanese name meaning gentleness, tenderness, or benevolence. Hmm. So it's already bodes well for Zuko. Mm-hmm. Um, then Zuko's like shocked. And Ira's like, he'd love to. Um, so later that evening, Zuko is all dressed up. His hair is like gelled back, uh, which is hilarious. Um, I forgot about this look. But yeah, what do we think? Gelled hair or ponytail? Ooh. Oof, that's rough. I think I might <laughs> actually take ponytail, to be honest. I think I agree. The gel look is just really not it. I can't believe Iroh would like wingman for him like that, like accept the date, but then also make his hair look like that. Mm. They go out to eat and Jin is like, so how do you like the city so far? 
And Zuko is just playing with the food on his plate, just clearly not engaged. Um, and Zuko's like, it's okay. Um, and then she continues to make like conversation, but like, I don't know, Zuko does not entertain and then the waiter is like excuse me sir would you and your girlfriend care for dessert and i read this online but someone was like oh he's a really bad waiter because Jin still clearly has a large bowl of noodles <laughs> that she's working on <laughs> yeah but anyways then zuko's like she's not my girlfriend um and Jin is just not bothered at all like yeah she has so yeah. much chill like so i do not chill like oh why does what does she see in zuko <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's like she kind of like she's kind of cool and i feel like zuko's a little bit of like a dork so like maybe that's what she sees she's like mm. Mm, you know anyways yeah so Jin is just continuing to eat her noodles and then she asks zuko where he and his uncle were living before they came to bossing say and zuko's like um we've been traveling around for a long time as a part of this traveling circus and i thought it was cool because i think he probably got this inspiration from ty lee like mm-hmm. i don't know how else he would have really come up with that um and then Jin's like oh let me guess what you did you juggled and then Zuko's like yeah and then she's like can you show me something and Zuko tries to juggle and just breaks everything um and Jin is again not bothered and <laughs> she takes Zuko to one of her favorite places in the city which is the firelight fountain yeah fun fact uh, apparently this firelight fountain is where Jin's parents used to go Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah, but anyways, they get there, and Jin is really disappointed that the lights by the fountain aren't lit. And then Zuko can see how, you know, sad she is, and he's like, close your eyes and don't peek. And then he, like, super fast lights all the fountain, or the lights around the fountain, and it's, like, super cool, and I love him, and, <laughs> the <laughs> like, there's, like, this super epic, like, drum music. It's just, like, very intense. But also... It's just this, this is just like very dumb too because he's like in the middle of this public square and he was berating Iroh for heating up his tea and now he's just lighting up all these lights um, in public. But yeah, I guess I read a cool interpretation of this scene online where someone was like, oh, it's really huge for him to just like light up these lanterns for this girl because the last time he firebent in public was in Zuko alone and that led to the boy who was previously looked up to him a lot, like totally turning his back on him. The last time an Earth Kingdom girl was like nice to him, he like stole her ostrich horse and like <laughs> ditched her. Um, and so now he's like risking everything just because he sees that this girl is like really upset. Um, so it's like showing his compassionate side, I guess. Um, or his careless side, I don't really know. But I thought that was an interesting read. I kind of forgot about the Zuko alone part where he like, fire Ben did for a person he cared about um and that went poorly and he's doing it again so i don't know so something interesting i read online is that there's no way Jin doesn't know he's a firebender she just doesn't care which what? you know oh like after this happens yeah mm. which i don't know interesting i thought that was interesting maybe we can ship juko <laughs> <laughs> i mean i do I, I feel like I feel like it would work. Oh, that brings me to another thing I read online, which is someone's read of the situation is that like Zuko eventually like backs away and like leaves. But someone is like, oh, it's because he's afraid of the stability. Like he still isn't, he's still not like, has not come to terms with like his new life. And Jin is clearly like well-adjusted, normal, likes him for who he is. um, And he's like not ready for that. 
I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of like that take. I mean, so why do you guys think that he backs away from Jin? I, my initial thought was because of May. Oh, I thought so too. So does he still have feelings for May? But I don't know if that's convincing enough. Like, I don't. I don't think so either. Yeah. So the stability thing kind of makes sense. I think. Yeah, I think I think I thought May too, but I I feel like it has more to do with his identity and not really like. Mm-hmm wanting to make ties here or like make a life here as he said last episode mm. yeah. yeah i think that makes sense anyways the next scene is zuko going back home and iroh is tending to his bonsais which is very cute detail and i was like how was your night prince zuko and zuko slams the doors shut to his room um and just a tiny little goof here uh there's a crack in the door near the left hand side of the door but when he slams the doors together the crack disappears so i guess he slammed it so hard that he fused the cloth together (laughs) (laughs) um but anyways zuko opens up the door again after a brief moment and says it was nice which I think is just like a very like nice way to end. I feel like it was very, mm-hmm. it made yeah. a lot of sense. Cool. And so we come to the last vignette and it's another small little cute one. Uh, it is the tale of Momo. Yep. So this tale was written by Giancarlo Volpe and Justin Ridge. Giancarlo was a director on this series and Justin was an assistant director. So it begins in this kind of yellowy dreamlike state. Uh, and so we know someone's dreaming. Turns out it's Momo. Uh, and he's dreaming of him and Appa flying to this uh, peach tree to eat peaches. Yeah, and um, when we go back to real life, when we see Momo sleeping, he's actually sleeping in Sokka's bag from the Blind Bandit. So this bag is really getting a lot of screen time, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, good purchase. It's a good bag. So yeah, he, he's dreaming of him and Appa just bonding, eating some fruit. But then he wakes up and he's like, oh no. Um, and he f- looks into his bag and he sees a piece of Appa's fur and so he puts on his arm and goes out searching for Appa and so Momo hits the town and he's kind of walking mm-hmm. around and these three stray pygmy pumas uh, start chasing Momo so Momo runs around and he runs into the circle and this person puts on a hat on Momo and throws him in the circle to dance with some monkeys and then this is the last time we hear the Momo theme, which is quite sad, mm. um, but it's just very funny. Um, and Momo's just absolutely like killing it in the center of this dance circle. But yeah, another fun fact is that apparently this guy who puts the hat on Momo and throws him into the circle, his, well, he is, quote, the organ grinder. Apparently he has bad eyesight. He mistook Momo for one of the monkeys. And he is the zookeeper's older brother. So eventually... Uh, the Pumas come back and kick Momo out of the party and someone comes and captures all the animals and puts them in a cage. So we come back from the commercial break and Momo is sitting in a cage looking at some people talk. And I thought it was a cute touch how we see that Momo perceives the people talking and it's just a bunch of gibberish. They're just saying a bunch of nonsense and that's pretty great. We also see that in the Blue Spirit. Oh, we do. Yeah. When Katara is like, go get some water. And Momo oh, brings back yeah. all those random stuff. Oh, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Good consistency. Mm-hmm. And so Momo's resourceful and smart. So he breaks out of his cage and he looks back at the Pumas and he feels bad for them. Aw. So mm-hmm. he goes and frees them and they all run away and escape together. They end up on some rooftop somewhere and Momo and one of the Pumas are snuggling, but uh, one of them takes the fur 
uh, from Momo. And Momo's like, what the heck? I thought we were friends. <laughs> but they lead him to Appa's paw print and they leave mm. the fur in the center. And then Momo takes the takes the fur and kind of curls up in Appa's paw print and is sad. Mm. Yeah. Um, a sad ending, uh, but leads perfectly into the next episode. But I have a question for you guys, which is, what do you guys think is the best tale? Ah, uh, not even debatable. It's clearly Iroh's tale. Okay, what about second best tale? <laughs> I think Momo's is the worst one. It's so boring. I want to skip. I it think every Momo's. Ah, uh, I think Momo and Aang. I had tied for worst. Aang's too. Hmm. I, don't I know. think you just love your. I think Sokka's is the second best. What you think Sokka's is yeah, the I'm, second best? That's funny. I'm between Sokka's and Zuko's yeah. also for second best. It's very creative. It is. It would seem fun to write. I feel like we don't really learn anything about Sokka. Like, at least Zuko, we learn more about him. But I feel like Sokka, you already, like, know it. Like, you don't learn anything new about Sokka. That's true. Sokka's mm-hmm. has the least character development, I guess. Oh, and Aang's, too. Although I read Aang's is, like, you get a sense of his um, spontane- spontaneous problem-solving. Like, how he likes to just mm. be spontaneous and also, of course, mm-hmm. cares for animals. Mm-hmm. We already knew that. Mm-hmm. I guess we learned Sokka is smarter than we, or just like wittier than we think he might be. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because normally he's just making bad jokes no one likes, but he's yeah. really <laughs> shiny. Yeah. Cool. But, all right, since we're already on the topic of rating, why don't we get to our overall ratings? Yeah, all right. I'm going to give this episode a three. Um, in general, you guys probably all know my opinion of filler episodes. This is very much a filler episode. I would give it a one. <gasps> However, I think oh I think Iroh's story here is amazing and is one of the most poignant scenes of the whole show. So I'm giving a full two points, plus two points for <laughs> Iroh. Um, but otherwise, I'd give it a one. I just think in general, the writing is not up to par. And even though some of the plots and character development is pretty good, it just makes the scenes not as believable as and not as good as they could be, I think. I have a haiku for you guys. A series of them. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Drop, drop it. Bad episodes are oft composed of sickly plots. Good, this one is not. <laughs> lacking in cadence action intrigue plot and length this sorely lacks strength iroh's tale sad as it may be does not make up for the rest sadly <gasps> and so out of 10 this deserves only a four zuko slam the door whoa no <laughs> what the heck that was so not only good. was it a haiku it also rhymed wow that's some soccer haikus that, though, yeah, those are some soccer quality haikus. I don't know if Madame Macmuling Mac Macmuling would approve, but I approve. That was fantastic. Okay, well, I can't follow that up, but I'll give a little dose of positivity because I rated each one individually and then averaged them. I gave Toph and Katara five. I gave Iroh ten. I gave Aang four. Sokka five. Zuko seven, and Momo four. I, I get what average. you guys are both saying. What is so that average? Average to? is about five point eight. So I'm rounding up to okay. six. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying, Anand, of like the writing not being up to par. But I don't know. I mean, like, I usually don't let the research and kind of like the creation behind the scenes stuff affect it. But I think it's cool that, um, you know, 
the other members of the production crew really got a chance to try their hand out at writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just fun, a little slice of life episode. And um, <laughs> also I read on the wiki, this is the only episode that Team Avatar is seen enjoying their time in Bossing Say. So it's like one <laughs> of the only like positive, like happy ones. And even then, like two of them are really sad. Um, yeah, it's because they want to get out of season two so badly. <laughs> uh yeah, but I just think the characters themselves like are great and even though maybe they're not as believable this like written as believably this episode, I think they still can carry the whole thing. And I thought the majority of the tales were very cute and fun and enjoyable and yeah. I also think it's cool that like they actually squeeze in six full tales, like each one's six minutes, but I think mm-hmm. they are like quite nice and feel rounded out. So I give it a six just because mm-hmm. I, I kinda like the the variety and kind of the form Alrighty, that's all for today so thank you guys so much for listening we hope you enjoyed our discussion of the tales of bossing say as always we release on whatsapp a wednesday so we'll see you next time for our discussion of appa's lost days bring your tissues uh if you want to stay up to date on when we release or submit thoughts or questions on the episodes like which line um was not voiced by mako be sure to follow us on Instagram at at what's underscore oppa, or you can email us at whatsappapod at gmail.com. Also, subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and you like this episode, be sure to give us a five-star rating. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye! Play me out, Hunter.